Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. Um, lots to talk about this week, Derek, but before we get into that, it's been a well, pretty busy week, that's for sure. It has been a very busy week. Yeah, dealing with a, a couple of uh, shows we've been to lately, and uh, getting our Real Paddling Film Festival on March 21st all together and sorted out. We announced that Jim Baird is going to be a uh, guest presenter. Yes, I'm really excited about that. And we've I'm... also mentioned that Five Paddles Brewery will be there. Yep. With some of their uh, their beers on tap for everybody to drink, mm-hmm. which will be good. But uh, yeah, we, we sat down and we talked with uh, Jim um, and his uh, fiance now. Tori. Tori, yep. Uh, at the uh, Toronto Outdoor Fil- uh, the Toronto Outdoor uh, and Adventure Show. Yes. How exciting was that? Like, it's really neat to be able to start meeting people because uh, of this radio show. Otherwise, I don't think we would have uh, met him or other people we've come across. You know what? It's it's neat to, like I say, from, from when we start, since we started this show, uh, it's pretty cool to, yeah, as you say, go out and meet these people that you're reading about and you're following them on Facebook and their blogs and their Twitters and, and different things on their, their websites. And you're, you know, just, I mean, like Kevin Callan is a good example. You know, I bought one of his, his Algonquin book was one of the first ones I bought and that got me into tripping through Algonquin Park and stuff. And uh, to actually, you know, these years later, you're starting to get to know him. And, and the fact that when you walk around the corner, he automatically knows you. Yeah, it's, you know? yeah. So, yeah, people like, are picking you yeah, out of a crowd now. Exactly. And you're just like, wow, that's that's pretty neat. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, when people know you um, and can pick you out and they know you're approachable and stuff, they'll come out and they'll start talking more to you about stuff. And, and you pick, I mean, I pick up some little tips and stuff from people and, and I, you know, they're, they're engaging and asking questions about different subjects on the, on paddling and stuff. And you end up having these, these really uh, nice conversations with, you know, uh, with people that are in, have the same passion for the paddling yeah. and everything. Right? Yeah. Like random strangers or, or people that you've got to know through the industry. And, and what I find is, is interesting and reaffirming about the whole thing is, you know, you, you have your, fr- your circle of friends who you paddle with, you, you're used to paddling with the people that you've got to know over the years and because of our, our the connections we're creating through this uh, radio show, it's uh, like you. I, I already had a set idea of what paddlers were like. You know, they're yeah. friendly, gregarious, the just easy to get along with. And but that was just my friends. So you you kind of gravitate to a certain level of friends, right? Yep. And now with people that are were complete strangers, are now you're getting to know a bit better. It's what's nice is that you're reconfirming that all these people that you're getting to meet reaffirms that idea that you've built up about the people within the canoeing, kayaking, and stand-up paddleboard community. Like, it just confirms my original thought that it's just a, a very friendly, outgoing, gregarious, sharing group of people. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly it. The first people you meet and you get into the canoe tripping and, and, and stuff with, um, yeah, they're they're a great bunch of people. They share the same interests as you and whatnot when it comes to the paddling and then yeah you start going out to these shows and chatting with people and and people are introducing themselves and say hey you know i listened to this show and and i've done that and i've been there and i felt the exact same feelings and saw the same things and had the same great time and and you said you wanted to go here and i'd love to go there or you know i have been there and you'll love it and that sort of stuff yeah it's like a, a new massive group of friends that you're all of a sudden uh, meeting up with. And it's really nice to, to mm-hmm. do that. And you tend to, like, you do certain things in life that you tend to hang out with certain groups of people. Like I've, I've over the years, I've, I've hung out with groups of uh, skidoers. I've had that opportunity in, in motorcycling. And, and, you know, those people tend to be kind of amped up and more animated and more, a little bit edgy and crazy and stuff like that. And, and I kind of belong in the canoeing community. So it's, it's sort of, the people that I tend to associate with more and recognize more, but it's, it's interesting to see the type of person that does gravitate towards a certain sport or a certain activity. Oh yeah. Uh, now what I did notice though, is like, I've gone to, you know, the outdoor adventure show and, and other shows like that before. And you go for the day, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to go down when it opens on Saturday morning and maybe stay till just after lunch or something. Right. And yeah, you're there for about four hours or something like that. Yeah. And that's plenty of time. But this year, 
we were there from when it opened at 10 to when it, you know, what, five to six we, we and left. It and that wasn't enough It time. wasn't enough time, no. We, we you know, were kind of, I felt like I was uh, rushed out of there a little too quick. I didn't complete as much as I'd wanted to. Yeah, that, so that's, uh, that was uh, pretty cool to, like I say, you're, you're busy talking to people and people are saying, hey, if you're going, like, text me or, or look for me and stuff. And you just don't have enough time to, to talk to everybody that yeah. you want to talk to or that wants to talk to you. So I'm curious, when our interests change, like say 15, 20 years from now and we're old and decrepit, are we going to start a Bowling Lanes radio or Bingo, Bingo, Bingo radio? Is that how we're going to morph this into as no, we become old and be, decrepit? In 20 years, <laughs> I will be probably be dead. doing the, <laughs> my son's taking me on a canoe trip and portaging all my crap show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's what it's going to be. So, oh no, you know what? I'm, I mean, hey, look at the the Scarlet Brothers. Yeah, they're oh, exactly. still going. They're in their late 80s, I think. 70s, early 80s, yeah. 70s, early 80s. And uh, yeah, they're still going. So, yeah. I mean, 20 years, I'm only going to so be. So there's hope for us yet. Yeah, in my 60s, right? <laughs> I'll be senile, so somebody You'll have to leave senile. me around. <laughs> <laughs> Does my stand-up paddleboard come equipped with a walker <laughs> so you can just stand there on your paddleboard with a walker and you got some somebody behind you paddling <laughs> just scream once in a while Woo! so everybody knows you're still alive and having fun well yeah. there was the we saw that paddleboard with the um with the uh oh the hobie the hobie with drive the hobie drive on it yes. yeah yeah that was at the uh swift booth at the yeah. uh Toronto show. So there, there you go. You put your walker on and you uh, stand on the little foot things. Yeah, and, and you start walking. And you, you Hobie paddle along. Ooh, maybe we should pitch the idea to Hobie. Make a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> Just bolt a walker to the top of the Santa paddleboard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we can uh, maybe start a little little instructional group down at the harbor yeah. for, only for seniors. My mother-in-law, she's part of an old age uh, group in Bonneville. We could uh, we could uh, look for interest there. <laughs> See, you get a bunch of paddleboards at the Hobie Drive, yeah. and you get a whole bunch of people from the, the from the seniors' home, yeah. and you take them out on Lake Ontario. <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> well, back to the job board tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but no, that was, that was pretty cool. But, um... Speaking of Toronto and paddling. And safety and losing people. And safety and losing people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They have, was it last week, they announced that they want Toronto to become more paddler friendly city. Yes. Yeah. I I recall. Yeah. When did we talk about that? That was at the, at the show, right? Yeah. We saw, yeah. Yeah. We we were, we were, uh, that was at the Toronto show we were talking about. Yeah. Couple of weeks, yeah, a couple of weeks back, we had yeah. heard about it, and uh, yeah. So in early February, um, Toronto Parks and Environment Committee, they got a report, they they had it developed on how Toronto could become a more paddle friendly city, and it says that they'll have to put an investment in, of course, that will relieve pressure on current waterfront access points. Now, if you've tried to access, um, anywhere to paddle when from the lakefront it, it's kind of hard now yep. i know there's been a couple spots over the years i've tried to launch from and it's either difficult to launch from or they start charging a cash for it bluffers park being one of them they charge yeah they used to charge it. i've never gone there so I've, i haven't know. been down there in years but that's why i didn't go anymore now ajax where i live is uh they put in a canoe launch last year mm-hmm Last year, or the year before, two years. Yeah, it's been because I used it a few times last year. It's just down. It's like ten minutes, ten minutes from my house. Yeah, and you can launch the canoes from there, right into Duffins Creek or right out into the lake. It's perfect. Do they charge? No, and it only for canoes and kayaks. Oh, really? And, well, and stand up paddleboards. Yeah, hmm. it's not wide enough for for a motorboat. Oh, okay, okay. It doesn't look wide enough. For so a they boat. limited. They built it size yeah, to yeah. accommodate only because it's all rocks activities. and stuff down yeah. there, right? Yeah. So. So yeah, becoming paddle friendly, and they don't want the power boats in Dufferin's Creek. Yes, in the, the mouth there. Exactly. Um, so they got this plan, and um, they want to provide opportunities for waterfront recreation. Is what it is, and the plan is to improve access to the water for paddle boards, kayaks, canoes, and of course, the plan still requires uh, city council for approval. 
So paddlers and kayakers uh, should be enjoying more access to the waterfront if this is all approved. And they will not meet on this until March. Okay. Which is, which is now. <laughs> yes, which is now. Man, the winter went away quick, didn't oh, it? Oh, didn't it? Now, the City Parks Environment Committee, uh, they've already approved it. They said they want to install five paddling nodes, and they're calling them nodes. Yeah, it's weird that they picked, chose that word, eh? Yeah, that will allow people with non-motorized, and, and I like that they say non-motorized recreational watercrafts, yes. um, to launch. And there are the five locations, Bluffers Park, which is Scarborough, uh, Marie Curtis Park, Prince of Wales Park, Humber Bay Park, and Coronation Park. And so it sort of covers left and right of Toronto Harbor, like east and west yeah. of Toronto. Now, I thought I heard something about a, a number value, a price, a cost value that they were going to be supporting it by. Uh, they figure the initial development will require 75000 to to $100,000 per node. So basically coming in $500,000 or less. Mm-hmm. And there's no additional resources or operating costs because basically they're building these docks yeah, it's, and, it's a, and ramps yeah. and that's it. There's no upkeep. There's no, you know, you're not having a little office there. You don't have to manage. You don't have or, a little yeah, guy no in gates, the booth. No nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a one-time yep. build. A, you're, you're just probably for providing a facility. Now they say five nodes are not enough. And, but it's a good start. Yes. Right. So they hope to, the, the original five will be installed in 2017 and other potential locations will be identified for development within the next five years. Cool. Which is pretty cool. I mean, if you ever take the GO train from Durham region out to Toronto, Mm -hmm. uh, it goes right along the lakefront and spots. And there's a lot of spots that you could put in. Oh yeah, these yeah. these nodes. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because you tr- you take the go train and you see all the little they they've got a lot of little breakwaters that they've built and it's they they've kind of formed or formatted or controlled the any erosion along the lakefront by building these little stone berms and stuff along the along the lakes lakeshore. Yeah, um, benefits of these nodes impact water sport recreationalists, fishers and anglers. And aquatic habitat in the form of spawning beds, sunken logs, sunken cribs, shoals, and rocky reefs. Waterfront nodes provide important focal points for the public and can reduce shoreline trampling by park users, which allows for significant shoreline regeneration opportunities adjacent to the nodes. Cool. Which is, you know, environmental impact, right? So yeah. they're, they're, they're taking a look into all of that, keeping it all looking good along the shorelines and giving everybody access, which is what you want. Well, it kind of looks like they're, and this is weird, I guess, and it shouldn't be weird, but it's, uh, they're doing a smart approach to it, which is the weird part because normally they just, hopefully they can follow through. They're starting small. They're not going too hog wild crazy. They're going to slowly build over time. It's going to be free access. Mm -hmm. So it seems like they're doing everything the smart way, the controlled way, but smart way. Yeah. And like they say, five nodes are not enough no but you got to start somewhere it is a good start and yeah. i'd rather that they start with the five know what what works yep. what doesn't work you know rather than putting in like 30 right off the bat sort of thing. and realize I mean, five I don't of those are never is, used or whatever yeah so they'll start with five they'll grow it proportionally yeah. over the, it, the next like 20 say, years when they put in the five they'll know if there's well they should do something different or yep you know different exactly uh, the way it's built whatever and that way when they put in the next five this is a good idea it, it really is and they've done it smartly. Well, and they, they come up with some criteria used uh, to choose what the nodes include. Uh, strong fish habitat, strong potential for healthy fish habitat through restoration efforts. The ability to provide multiple uses, including watercraft launching and fishing. Proximity to active waterfront, which would be Bluffers Park and stuff yeah, like that. I mean, places where they know people are already going. Yeah, you go down for family picnics for the day, yeah. beaches, that sort of stuff. Good parking access and the community support. Awesome. So yeah, to get five of these started right off the bat uh, this summer will, will will really be uh, quite the thing, and hopefully it all works out. And um, next year maybe they'll throw in another five or ten. Yeah. You know, because like I can say they they plan to get them in the next now is this next the, five years, but they don't the, say how many. Yes. So this is the city of Toronto budget, right? Yeah. 
Toronto Parks Environment Committee. Okay. Yeah. So it'd go, what, from Scarborough all the way across to, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what's on over that way, Mississauga way, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see what uh, happens with that and uh, start using some of them. We'll get on down and do some yeah. uh, paddling right in, right downtown Toronto. Well, you can already do that downtown Toronto, right out the harbor, right? Yeah. You can get out that way. Oh, absolutely. And, so. and that's a, I've always meant, I've, I've gone out on the ferry to Toronto Island. I've always wanted to go and, and paddle out to Toronto Island mm-hmm. and check it out in the summer. And one of these days I'm going to get off my butt and do that, get mm-hmm. out there with the kids and the wife. And I think that'd be a nice little paddle. I see people doing it all the time. And, and the few times I've gone out across on the ferry, you see all these people in kayaks and it's like, oh, I should be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Save your money. Don't take the ferry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> paddle instead. So let's take a quick uh, quick break here, and I want to come back, and it's getting spring soon, yep. and people are looking at getting out there paddling, people are looking at getting canoes and stuff like that, yeah. but are people looking at training? Training, improving their skills, yeah. um, so let's reaffirming quick, their skills. Yeah, let's take a quick break, and we will come back, and we will discuss that. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. Welcome back. Uh, Before we went on... uh break there we were talking about um spring is yes, coming the coming it'll, of a new season it'll be here before we know it paddling season will be upon us and a lot of people take this time of year to be looking at new kayaks canoes and stand up paddle boards yes. or, or if they've never done it they look at getting into it for the first time well, you have all the trade shows. So people are going out to trade shows and going, oh, look at that canoe. Look at that kind. Yeah. So, and of course, everybody is looking at the new, the new, you know, New Year's resolutions. That's that the other thing. I'm going to get into paddling. I'm going to do more paddling. Well, and anybody that's been interested in it, you know, they're going looking at the newest and the best. The latest, the greatest. There, latest and greatest. And then when they look at their pocketbooks, they whittle it down to a used <laughs> one from somebody's backyard that's been sitting there for 20 years, yeah. weighs 89 pounds. Well, if I'm going to use that one, I better have some skills. <laughs> Strap a, a, a pillow to their head because yeah. they can't afford a helmet. <laughs> All the good stuff. Yes. But the one thing that a lot of people really don't think about is actual training. Um, and they should be. Yeah. It's, it's usually the last thing people think of. Now, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. We we just jumped into canoes when, when we were yes. teenagers and started paddling and picked but it up and figured things out and met It also depends and... on, this, on the risk level too. Yeah. Like you're talking flat water paddling. Oh, yeah, yeah, when yeah, it, yeah, yeah. When it came to whitewater, like uh, when I was into kayaking, I went and took a, uh, I took a five-day whitewater kayaking course. And then as I migrated more towards whitewater canoeing, Last spring, I went and uh, improved my skills, learned new skills, and took a, uh, a whitewater canoeing course at MKC. Mm-hmm. So, and so there's risk there. So, obviously, you want to improve your skills and, and, and you get new skills. But with flat water, a lot of people kind of go into it blindly, and they shouldn't. People should really consider the fact that there's a you could get into a lot of trouble on larger open water lakes. There's a lot yeah. of risk. I mean, one that's near and dear to our heart is uh, you know is Opiongo up in Algonquin Park. Oh, and I mean I've been paddling across that on a nice day, and then all of a sudden the winds come up and. And yeah, you're, you're in, can be in a bit of trouble pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, you get into a sea state because the opiongo with its long arms uh, and it, uh, a lot of time for wind to build up some it waves. It funnels and, down and picks up yes. speed, yeah. So if you're, if you're looking at getting a new canoe or you've been 
or, or, or kayak or paddleboard, if you've been doing it for, for a number of years, whatever, then you might even want to look into getting more training mm-hmm. or different types of training. Uh, a couple of them that I know of are Ontario Recreational Canoeing and Kayaking Association, or ORCA. Um, and then there's Paddle Canada. Yes. Those are the two that, you know, the two, the two big ones that stand out. Um, ORCA was formed in, in the mid-70s to promote accessibility of paddling experiences for everyone. Development of safe, competent, knowledgeable recreational paddlers. Can't even say the word today. Paddlers. <laughs> There's a lot of extra letters in that Apparently. one. <laughs> Igniting the passion for a journey of paddling experiences and the preservation of the paddling environment. Today, Orca continues to support and develop recreational canoeing and kayaking in Ontario. So, yeah, they, they've been around for quite the while now. Yeah, 70, and, from 75. Yeah. And it, it came around and they wanted to teach people, here's how to do it properly. Here's how to stay safe. Here's how to, you know, build this canoe, this, this paddling environment. Yes. Um, and let's, let's build it. Let's, let's keep it going, a giant community and let's do it safe, safely and, you know, learn from each other, teach skills to each other. And they developed levels of instruction for canoeists, kayakers, moving water paddlers. So whitewater. Yeah. Uh, as well as backcountry and urban tripping enthusiasts. So if you're into, you know, canoe tripping, if you're into whitewater, if you're into the kayaks, the canoes, they, they've got all these different um, programs for, for how to do it properly. Yeah, so they, 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 they did it as well as Paddle Canada are doing it, is they're creating a standardized set of instructions so that when you get accreditation, whether it's in eastern Ontario or northern Ontario, if you're going through ORCA, they have a standard set so you can, you're trusting that you're getting the same skill set no matter where you go. And it, it helps have a, you know, you're diverse, but you have a standard set of instruction. Yeah, and their paddling programs are uh, recognized nationally and, and provincially. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, provincially accredited, uh, nationally recognized. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to ORCA, some of their courses, basic canoeing, tandem, and solo. Now, I mean, I've got a tandem canoe. i got a solo canoe. Um, so this would be, you know, perfect if you're getting into that. Now, I know there's a lot of people just starting out, and they don't have a lot of friends in the paddling community. So they'll go get themselves a solo canoe. Or yeah. a solo kayak, yep. and you know, and they'll go out by themselves. So this is this is perfect. Canadian style paddling, basic canoe instructor, flat water kayaking instructor, and canoe tripping. So once you learn how to paddle and you're good enough, you can actually learn. They'll teach you to become an instructor, so that you can go out and teach people how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, which is cool. And me taking something I've learned from the courses that I've taken is. Uh, if you're starting out and you're new to the sport, you don't have a lot of friends that are into paddling. What I found, and when I took the kayaking, uh, whitewater kayaking years ago to MKC, and when I took the uh, whitewater canoeing at MKC, you're you're introducing yourself automatically, introducing yourself to a paddling group, a paddling family, paddling mm-hmm. friends. And for for quite a few years after I took my whitewater kayaking course i had people to call on and say hey let's go for a trip on the ottawa let's go for a trip uh, on on you know wherever right so you created this automatic built-in group of friends to go paddling with so if you are interested in paddling and you don't have a group of friends that you can automatically call upon go and pay 100 or 200 dollars for the course and suddenly you're going to be introduced to a group of friends that you can call upon to get out on the water and enjoy it yeah, that's, a, that's the best way to do it. Hook up with people that way. And, I mean, there are there's places that, you know, they'll list, hey, you're looking for somebody to go to? Yeah, and so if you join a paddling club or whatever, yeah. then that's another method of getting out to know people, to be able to get on the waters. Because it's better to, it's always safer to do it in groups. And it's funner, too, to share the experience. Yeah. Now, Paddle Canada, it sets national standards for instruction and certification. Uh, not just uh, provincial ones yes. like like Orca does, uh, and Paddle Canada was actually formed in the early seventies, so what, four years before. Yeah, nineteen seventy one. So I mean, that's that's how long these two organizations have been around. I mean, They've been around a while. Time. Yeah, it's like, like 40, 46 years. Yep. Um, yeah, they help coordinate non-competitive canoeing and kayaking across Canada, and deliver training for safe and enjoyable paddling. And that's the big thing right there. 
safe and enjoyable paddling. They repeat that a lot. Yes, they do. Their first successful, uh, w- the first success was the creation of a national program for canoeing. As kayaking grew in popularity, national standards for sea and river kayaking followed. More recently, national standards for stand-up paddle boarding were added as this, as this new activity is growing. So they keep up with the times as well. You know, I mean, when paddle boards now becoming yeah, big. And with any organization, they're, they're, you have to. You have to grow with the times. Yeah, they're... Um, taking their, their standards and, and putting it into the stand-up paddle boarding. Uh, again, they do courses for canoeing, like lake canoeing, moving water, tripping, canoe poling, which we've talked about on yeah, a previous show. Yeah, we did show. an episode on yeah. that. Uh, big canoes and coastal canoeing. For kayaking, there's basic, intermediate, advanced skills and kayak rolling. So everything with, with these two groups, Orca and Paddle Canada, is a lot of safe and fun, safe and fun, safe and fun. That's, that's, that's what all their training is about. Yep. Making sure you're safe, you're doing it properly and you're having a good time. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're there for, right? Now, just to show you that it's not only Canada. I was, uh, bopping around on a couple of things and I came across Paddle Safe, Paddle Smart at paddlesmart.org out of Sydney, Australia. Uh, and they actually are pretty much the same thing. They're, they're into it to make sure you're out there that you're safe and you're being smart, but you're having, having fun. They had a little video with Billy, the kayaking koala. It's a little animated thing. And he goes through, they've taken the word safe and the word smart. And you know how they take the first letter and put a word to it. The second letter, put a word to it. Well, they've done that. So this was a video that when you watched it, I, I, I took a nap. Yeah. And you thought he was a raccoon. <laughs> Billy the kayak Why is there a raccoon, raccoon in a canoe? In a kayak from Australia. <laughs> this is what I've got to work with. I was tired. You were tired. <laughs> anyway, so they take the word safe. Um, for safe, then smart. So safe, they have the S for seaworthiness. And seaworthiness applies to the suitability of craft, equipment, and apparel. And it also applies to paddlers when related to their specific paddling disciplines and the conditions in which they are conducted. Yeah, you're not going to take a sit-on-top kayak and go down whitewater. Yeah, or way, 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 way out in the ocean. Exactly. Right? Um, A for awareness. To stay safe, paddlers must be aware of their own abilities, of those they're paddling with, and they need to be aware of where they are and where they need to get to and the risks they will need to manage along the way. Yes. F, uh, for fitness. Mental and physical fitness are of paramount importance to safe paddling. It is important to realize there are many variables associated with safe paddling, but generally speaking, the tougher the challenge, the greater the level of physical and mental fitness required to stay safe. And E, exposure. Paddlers are all exposed to conditions, natural and man-made, that have the potential to cause injury or death. Paddlers should always assess risks of exposure and adjust their paddling plans to ensure they stay within the bounds of safety. Those Aussies, they're so smart. Aren't they? (laughs) That's the word safe. Seaworthiness, awareness, fitness, and exposure. Yes. Now for smart, the S is safe. Paddle safe is paddling smart. Paddling safe is paddling smart, which is their safe smart, right? Yes. M, maintenance. Regular maintenance of your craft, equipment, and apparel, as well as your body, is a smart thing to do. Paddling with faulty equipment and minor injuries is not smart. So we spent some time on these things, right? Yeah, I know. Attitude. Adopt a positive attitude towards your paddling. You're in an ever-changing environment, true, that can nourish so many of your senses and emotional needs in a positive way. Enjoy it. So saying, have a positive attitude while you're yeah. out there. It's a fun sport. You're yeah. doing it as a hobby or it's not a job. Well, hopefully it's not a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, responsibility. Responsible paddlers are smart paddlers. They realize there's a big downside to, in being irresponsible, such as paddling without wearing a PFD not wearing a helmet when there's fast moving water. Let someone know when when you'll be on the water and where you're paddling. 
Yes, that's key, especially if you're doing solo trips or whatever. You got to be smart. Yes, uh, or on trips, letting people know your route. Yep, that sort of thing, right? That's that's being res- responsible. Stick to your route. And T, good uh, is for technique. Good technique will enhance your paddling enjoyment. It will lead to improved performance and efficiency. It will look after your body and minimize the prospect of injuries. It's smart to get instruction in the foundation principles from a qualified instructor related to your paddling discipline. So that's the word smart from safe smart. Yes, there's going to be a test at the end of this episode. (laughs) At the end of this episode, well, there'll be a test. Write your answers down, mail them in. Pop quiz. (laughs) Um, so yeah, paddle safe, paddle smart at paddlesmart.org out in uh, Sydney, Australia. So they've come up with this with this safe smart thing, and basically it's what you get taught. And they even say get proper training, you know, be safe out there, get some proper training, and uh, you know, again, just like Orca and uh, Paddle Canada, be safe out there, have fun. Right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong, and you're not going to stick with it very long. No, and then you spent all this money. Because, I mean, it's, it, depending what you're getting into, it, it can be Admittedly, a very expensive, yeah, it's an expensive, expensive sport. sport. You know, you can and, do uh, it very cheaply on the sly and whatever, but uh, generally, if you're going to be spending any time on it, you're going to be buying decent watercraft, decent PFDs, nice paddles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? You, you might as well do it smart and... Uh, Get the most you can out of it. Enjoy it. And I like the big thing about the positive attitude. Make sure you're out there yes. with, the pro- with the proper attitude. That's key. That's important. That's why you're out there to begin with. Yes. So anyway, so yeah, you know what? Spring's coming and uh, you're looking at new gear or whatever. Maybe you should look into updating some of your your training. If you haven't had any, then it's definitely something to, to look into. And you never know. You start getting some training on one thing and then you see what else is available it might just hook you into something else. Exactly. You might uh, think you're going to go start uh, stand-up paddleboarding. You meet a couple of buddies. Next thing you know, you're doing uh, whitewater canoe trips up north. When we were at uh, the Toronto Outdoor Show, there was a learn-to-fly place there. And um, the guy was handing me a pamphlet. He said, you know, come and have a couple lessons. I said, no thanks. And he says, why not? I said, I've got a canoe habit. so yeah always cost you more money so you know maybe throw some money into some of these uh these training things and uh i may be paying uh mkc a visit a visit a visit visit. so so uh stay safe out there get some training and uh, enjoy the the coming paddling season She's coming fast. She is. As Jon Snow would say, spring is coming. Spring is coming. Winter is coming. Winter's gone. (laughs) So let's take a quick break here, and we come back, we're going to talk something fun. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit wrvoradio.com online. And we're back. And Derek, we've talked, our very first show, we were at the Canadian Canoe Museum. Yes. And we saw. It all started. It's where it all started. And uh, we saw a ton of canoes up there. And a lot of them mean birch bark canoes, um, which are, for me, has always been a bit of a fascination. Just, I mean, we know people that build the cedar strip canoes and stuff like that. And that takes a lot of work. I mean, that's an art form in itself. But to be able to build a birch bark canoe. That'd be kind of cool, except for the fact that it's kind of hard to find massive birch bark trees. It is. Birch trees anymore. Yes. And we've had this conversation many times. I'm surprised we've never talked about it previously on the show. Yeah, we've never actually, yeah, we've never actually talked about it on the show. But we've we've, watched, you you made me watch that Caesar Builds a Birch Bark Canoe. Yeah, actually, I just posted that, uh, was it last week? Early last week? Yes. Caesar's Bark Canoe. It's on the National Film Board of Canada site. You can, you can watch it. It's 57 minutes uh, long. Filmed back in 1971. Um, just look at the synopsis of it here. This documentary shows how a canoe is built the old way. Caesar Nawashish, a 67-year-old Atacamek of the Manawan Reserve north of Montreal, 
uses only birch bark, cedar splints, spruce roots, and gum. Uh, being the spruce spruce gum, you know, not like Excel or dentine. <laughs> Building a canoe solely from the materials that the forest provides may become a lost art, even among the native people whose traditional craft it is. The film is without commentary, but text frames appear in the screen in Cree, French, and English. And basically what this film does, you, you sit and watch it, and he just, it, it from him stripping the birch bark off of a tree, he, he cuts down the birch tree first, strips the bark off, he's pulling roots, um, to, spruce roots, and he, he's, he's getting all the gum off the trees, and he's cutting cedar splints all by hand with knives and, and stuff like that, and a hatchet. No saws, you know, power, power tools of any kind. Or talking, I believe. Yeah, there's yeah, there's no talking whatsoever. You can hear the kids in the background playing yes. and stuff like this. And this is right outside his house, next to the lake. Yeah. Um, now the thing that gets me about this, and the the whole reason we're we're, we're sort of talking about this the, uh, on on this week's show, this was filmed in 1971, and part of the synopsis is may become a lost art. 46 years ago. They were saying building traditional birch bark canoes was becoming a lost art 46 years ago. Yeah. And like we discussed this earlier and we figured that I think it is a lost art, but uh, if my experience proves true, then I've noticed that there's there's been a resurgence in interest in traditional ways for the natives, and you find this in a lot of the reserves around here. Uh, I went to a powwow last summer. I brought my parents, came up from New Brunswick, and we went to a powwow, and it was, uh, there's the native communities here in Ontario, and I'm sure elsewhere in Canada, there's a resurgence in interest in their traditional ways, their backgrounds, and they're trying to bring it back about. And and throughout the uh, the 90s and early 2000s, there's there's a lot of reduction I noticed in in, in the traditional ways. Uh, like I grew up near a lot of uh, native reserves in New Brunswick, and and there's a lot of native reserves and communities here in Ontario, and uh, there was where these arts were being lost. But I also find that recently in the last uh, five years, last decade, that there's been a resurgence. And they're, at the powwow this summer, they talked about how they're trying to increase the history and increase the experience of the of the young natives in their, in their lost arts, in their traditions and stuff like that. So I'm thinking that this stuff like this might start to come back, I hope. Well, they're the ones that have to take it on. I mean, when you want to look at it, we know people that own uh, a dairy farm and the kids don't want to take it over. No, it's it's too much it's, work. Yeah. Well, it's too much work. Uh, yeah. And, and they'd rather be doing other stuff. Yeah. I'm gonna... You know, and it's, it's the same with this. If if the younger generation doesn't want to keep up to the traditions, they're going to be lost. And it's it, going to go away. And something like this is, it's it's a it's a massive loss. I mean, that's yes. my opinion. You, yes. you start losing the traditions and that of, of the natives that have been here for thousands of years. Like, you're not getting that back. But what's good, though, is that these things are documented. Like this here, a National Film Board documentary, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it just by watching it, you can you can observe the old skills and how it's done. You, you miss a lot from the, from the documentary. Documentary. But uh, we always have trouble with that word. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But you you can see how it's done. the The finer skills of of the building is missed through the video. But there's a lot of uh, websites that show the how these things are done and and indicate the the better ways to do things. So they may be lost in the short term, but I think in the long term, they could easily be brought back by how everything has been documented. Yeah, I, and I think. Well, if you watch that new film, The Canoe, um, they talked to the one woman up in uh, Thunder Bay that got the kids to make the birch bark canoe, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's just one canoe, but yes, um, yeah, I, th- I think when you watch the film and the documentation and then you start doing it, I got to think your first one or two are 
there's going to be a lot of oops. Oh, it's gonna crap. Be, they're going to be uh, a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, lots of, damn it. Yeah. Throwing things and breaking and, things. And, and as you alluded to earlier, like like when when you go through, they talk about it's best if you have a very large birch tree to build it. So there's less seams. The more seams you have in a birch bark canoe, the more chances of leakage, the more chances of failure. And we talked about this previously, uh, not on the show, but we talked about this previously about birch trees just aren't that big anymore. Like the no. ancient uh, cedars and an- ancient uh, spruce trees, like the, these these large trees of, of days gone by, like now that everything is... is uh, sort of cultivated so everything grows fast and there's so they tend tend birch trees uh, anytime i've uh, canoed up north there's no birch trees more than eight or 12 inches in diameter they're all very small and very tight together they don't get a chance to grow whereas traditionally like you could find like i remember growing up there was birch trees that were just massive around the bowl of the tree but you don't see that anymore it's everything is uh everything is over harvested and undergrown and you know everything is cultivated these days and the wild birches are few and far between for large sizes well and the tree that itself uh it, it has to be there's certain things it's, it's got to be 30 feet long sort of thing it's got to be at least six feet or five feet round four feet well, round. i don't think like you that. ever find a birch um quite like but yeah like yeah when, when and you it's got to be straight out, up with yeah. no no branches sticking out yes. and all that yeah. stuff. so it's very particular so not only are you looking for one of these big trees you're looking for a specific one of these big specific trees. one and odds on if you do find it is probably not harvestable because mm-hmm. it's in a protected area or whatever like I, I've got, I've got a couple of friends at work. They've got farms, and I'm gonna start hitting them up this summer and saying, "Hey, you mind if I come and take a boo at some of your birch trees?" Well, that's why <laughs> I started getting into this. Is I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I've got the canoes. I got the solo canoe. I've got the, the tandem canoe. I know people that do the cedar strip canoes, which is cool, but that gets really, really expensive. So if I'm gonna take the time, to do, a special canoe, I would love to do a birch bark canoe. Yeah. Which is what yeah. brought along the whole conversation to begin with, you know. Um, and then we started hitting up a couple websites and, and doing some research on it. And if if you have the birch bark, the cedar wood to make this, the splints, if you can get the spruce roots and the, the spruce gum, you've got the backyard to, to build it. Yes. You know, you, you got all the, the, the hot water that's available to to keep it wet and mold it and all that sort of stuff. So you could realistically do one in your backyard. And it's all, everything is about time, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure like back in the day, people had a lot more time, but now like who has time now when they have a smartphone? It's like a smartphone mm-hmm. takes up like 12 of my, 12 hours of every my one of my days. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I say, if I was doing something like this, then that'd be, That'd be uh, my my go-to thing. You could probably get one of these done in two weeks. If we built one, where do you want to build it? My backyard or your backyard? My backyard, because when you're doodling around with the kids, I'd be building it. <laughs> You'd show up in three weeks to be done. <laughs> How about we each build our own canoe and we compare them when they're done? Can we have a race? Sure. We'll have the Paddling Adventures Radio Birch Bark Canoe Race. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the hole in yours. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll race them on the water. <laughs> so <laughs> we um, we're doing some research on this, and you came across a, a site. Yes. Uh, so this is a this is a fantastic website. It's a Native Art in Canada uh, Ojibwe Elders Art and Stories. So this is a bunch of stories from various perspectives, and they talk about. Uh, the Ojibwe, the native art, uh, the foods, uh, woodland Indians, and then they talk of there's a whole section on canoes where they talk about dugouts and birch bark canoes, and then they talk, go on to talk about tanning hides. So there's a lot of sections here. They're what they're doing is they're they're publishing and recreating history and recreating these lost arts, and the website this website on the birch bark canoe part, and they talk about you know the lo- losing of the arts and. Uh, so this the story is written from the perspective of a grandchild of a of a native woman, and uh, the grandchild says, 
the the grandfather died one winter and that spring the his grandmother saw geese flying over and decided oh you know if if i want to pass on the skills of my trade of building canoes i've got to do it now time is tight i'm losing time and so she made the announcement that spring one evening and said we are building a canoe it's time to get some birch bark we're going to start tomorrow and so this story is from that perspective about the first time they saw their parents learn how to build a canoe from their grandmother. So the grandmother told her own children. Her own children. Right. And then the grandchild was there to experience it and watch, and it. watch it. And then now the grandchild is relating the story on the uh, on the Native Art in Canada website. Right. And this this site really is pretty cool because it goes through, just like Caesar's Bark Canoe um, is an actual f- video is a film of him building yep. a birch bark canoe. This actually documents the steps and has little pictures on the side. Yeah, so there's a little bit more descriptives. Like, so it goes through the exact same process as Caesar's uh, birch bark canoe on the National Film Board website. Uh, with this one here, it instead of visually detailing it, it visually and descriptively details it from the, the making of the frames, the laying out of the birch bark, the choosing of the birch bark. So it goes through the whole process and it's, uh, it's, it, it's complicated, but it makes it seem simple, but it's not simple. It's not a simple process. You know what? I've watched Caesar's Bark Canoe probably six or seven times. And after a while, you start to catch on what he's doing. And this yes. is what I'm saying about doing it over and over. Yes, you miss you miss a few little fine-tuned yeah, things. Yeah, there's a little like, fine-tuned things that you, you're missing. You don't but. really notice how he's laying out the the the, uh, the ribs and stuff like this. But then mm-hmm. it becomes clear, it's like, oh, that's what he's doing with that rib. So if you watch it enough times, you start to sink in and start to catch on. And it helps to read the words from yeah, the and step-by-step then that's, guide. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is, and then you add this to the movie. It clarifies and, a lot. And it really clarifies a lot of it, eh? Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just looking through this here and there's, and I'm looking at this stuff and yeah, he showed how to do that and birch bark canoes were lashed with split roots and uh, um, it's better to come home with too many roots and not enough. They're talking about collecting them. Yes. Um, it talks about how to choose the bark and it talks about, uh, so when you find a suitable sample of a tree... Take a small chiclet of of the, like a six by six chunk of the bark. So you don't want to kill the tree. You want to take the bark and see if it's appropriate. So you're going to twist it and bend it and you don't want it to crack. So you want it to be moist enough that it's flexible so that you can work with it without it splitting when you make the canoe itself. Obviously, when you harvest the bark, you're going to kill the tree. So you're going to be harvesting the entire tree. If you're lucky enough to find a tree that you are able to harvest. Yeah. Um, and it goes on, like I say, this, this goes on to show you exactly how to lay out the, all the, the materials, the birch bark, how you make a frame for it, split the, the, um, cedar to make the, the ribs and and everything else, the gunnels. That would be a skill in its own to split the cedar for the ribs. Well, doing it with the crooked knife and and everything. Yeah. And have it actually, uh, consistent width without it splitting and go thin towards one end like a toothpick type thing and yeah so it uh, it's going to take a little bit of skill and there's going to be a lot of waste unfortunately i think uh and yeah uh, i think my backyard would be covered with a lot of pieces <laughs> thrown and, and some, some might, but it'll smell great <laughs> some might end up in my neighbor's lawn yeah. uh but yeah you know what this like i say i've en- i've enjoyed the the film and now to see little pictures and descriptions on how you do it. it. It's pretty good. Yeah. The wrapping of the gunnels, the ribs, the... Bending of the ribs, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So, uh, what's the name of the site again? It's... Uh, Native Art Native in Art, Canada. Yes. Native Art in Canada. Yeah. If you go there at the top, there's a bunch of tabs and there's one called Birch Bark Canoe and there's step-by-step guide. Check it out. It's, it, it's really pretty cool and you can go through it and look at what you've got to do to do it. But... The only thing holding me back from doing something like this at the end of the day is the materials. Exactly. Well, the birch bark. There's always the time, but the big, the 90% of the difficulty in doing this is the material. Yeah. I mean, something like this in your backyard, 
building this in your backyard because they say it's got to be a soft spot, right? Yeah. So you set something Shaded, up in your backyard. Soft, yeah. You come home after work in the summer. I mean, the kids are older now. I'm not taking them to soccer. I'm not taking them to the exactly, hockey. Exactly. You have the time. I go out back. And yeah, in, a, in, in less than a month, I could probably have one built. It's just a matter of getting the birch bark. Mm -hmm. So if anybody out there has a bunch of spared oh, birch bark. Oh, yeah. A big birch tree. Anybody got a big birch just, tree yeah, in the backyard they yeah, want to get rid of? Just call me. <laughs> me, call me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I would love to do something like that. Yes. That, that'd, be, that'd be absolutely awesome to do. Um, we're coming to the end of our show here. Yes, we're um, out of time. Talked about a few things today. Yeah, getting I'm getting ready for paddling season. Uh, getting ready for the Real Paddling Film Festival. We are hosting at the Tap and Tankard in Whitby on March 21st. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Come join us. Yeah, we're already a third of this uh, ticket sold out. Um, Eventbrite, you can get your, your tickets there. You can as well get that five, uh, five, five Paddles, Paddles Brewing. Brewing. Yep, in Whitby. Uh, the K Kitchener Waterloo Canoe Symposium, which we're a sponsor of this year in Waterloo, April 8th. Uh, we're going to have a little table there if you want to come out and see us and uh, say hello. Uh, in the meantime, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us on Twitter. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>